Thank you, worship team. This morning we're going to be trying to answer the most important question in the world, which is, what is the gospel? That is the most important question in the world. What is the good news of the Bible? It's my goal this morning that everyone here would leave this service this morning being able to answer that question. That's my, that's, that's my goal. That's my desire. So walk with me. A lot of y'all already know it. Some of y'all I don't think do. And if you are a Christian, you know, Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2 says, entrust this message to others so that what? They may be able to teach others also. That's discipleship. And so I think if you boil down what a Christian is, a Christian isn't just someone who can absorb and receive the gospel. A Christian is someone who can replicate it and actually share it with other people. So I I really do believe that by definition, a Christian is someone who believes in the gospel and can articulate the gospel. And so that's my goal this morning, is that you would be able to leave this morning being able to answer the question, what is the gospel? Um, John 3.16 is where we're at. If you want to turn your Bibles there. John 3.16 answers... The passage we're in is John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. That's where we're going to be this morning. John 3.16 answers the what of the gospel. John 3, verses 17 through 21 answers the why. I think a lot of people know John 3.16. They just don't know what comes after John 3.16. And it goes, let me tell you, it goes from pretty cheerful, hopeful, rosy colored theology to judgment and condemnation. It gets pretty bleak after John 3.16. Probably why people don't quote that one as much. I want everyone here to think to themselves really briefly, if you had to come up with the most famous verse... In the Bible, what would it be? Raise your hand if you think John 3.16. Raise your hand if you don't think it's John 3.16. Just curious. Okay, never mind then. All right. Um, That's what I would think as well. I would agree. When I sit down sometimes with somebody who wants to get baptized, some way or another, it's not always, I I, I try to make sure that they can tell me what the gospel is. There's no way someone's going to get baptized unless they believe in the message of the Bible. And if they don't know what that message is, it's my job as the pastor to kind of, you know, sit down with them and kind of walk them through. Sometimes I'll kind of say, hey, can you kind of just give me a sense of what, what is the gospel? And sometimes I get this look like, uh, you know, like my entire salvation is hinged on a, if I get the right, you know, the perfect answer. One time I got one of those stares after I asked that question, and I literally got an, uh, you know. And they, they gave an answer that just suffice it to say, it didn't have anything about faith, it didn't have anything about Jesus, it was, it was more kind of moralistic, I do this, I get this kind of thing. And so it was apparent that this person needed to be walked through the gospel. Isn't that kind of ironic? A lot of people get saved, I've seen people get saved in a new members class. 
when they finally, when brass tacks, you come down to it, they're like, I've never really been taught the gospel. Praise God that they found Jesus. And then I asked them, this person who could not articulate the gospel, I said, well, what's, what's John 3.16? They said, oh, well, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him shall not perish and have eternal life. Do you see what they had in there? Could not tell me what the good news of the Bible was, but had John 3.16 ingrained in their brain. Do you see the irony there? They knew the gospel... They had just never contemplated how precious that message was and how central it is to the Bible. Ironic is the word. Is there any greater testament to our spiritual blindness than the fact that God has clearly disclosed the most precious message in the entire world and gone to such lengths to state it and restate it time after time, and yet we either don't read it, skip over it, forget it, or overcomplicate it. I mean, there it is, staring us in the face. John 3.16. Jesus was sent by the Father. Whoever believes in Him, they don't got to go to hell. Believe in that message. That's John 3.16. That's why we're here. If you want the most basic summary of the Gospel message, look no further than John 3.16, which is probably why it's the most famous verse in the Bible. If you haven't memorized it, please do. It is such a great picture of the gospel message that in 2009, at the BCS National Championship game, Florida quarterback Tim Tebow wore eye black and put John 3.16 on his face with the inscription, just, just simply John 3.16. That night, Google reported that millions of people Googled John 3.16 football fans to see what it meant. Isn't that amazing? He's evangelizing just by having something on his face. I'm going to read you this article real quick. I just, I just could not help but read this. This article is by Adam Schefter at ESPN. Okay. Written in 2009. Sorry, in 2010. This is what he says. There's no need to embellish in this story. Facts speak for themselves. On January 8, 2009, the BCS championship game, then Florida quarterback Tim Tebow wore eye black with the inscription John 3.16. A reference to the Bible passage that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's on ESPN.com. On January 8, 2012... Sorry, it's written in 2012. Three years to the day that he caused millions of football fans to Google the meaning of John 3.16, Tebow played his first NFL playoff game. Anybody know against who? Wow. All right, good deal. Tebow threw for 316 yards. <laughs> Tebow averaged 31.6 yards per completion. The highest single-season postseason completion average in NFL history. Ben Roethlisberger's second-quarter interception, which led to a Matt Prater field goal and a 17-6 Broncos lead, came on third and 16. The Steelers finished the game with a time of possession of 31-06. 
And at the time, Tebow threw the game-winning 80-yard touchdown pass. I mean, I saw that. I was, such a, I was so awesome. <laughs> the NFL's longest postseason pass in overtime history. CBS's final quarter-hour overnight ratings were, yes, 31.6. This is what he says. Now, some people believe in UFOs. Some don't. Some believe in the afterlife. Some don't. Some people believe in coincidences. Some don't. And some people believe in the power and talents of Tebow. Some don't. But there can be no denying that the events from Denver's wild card win over Pittsburgh are downright eerie. When this string of 316 facts were relayed to one of the NFL's executives that same week, he paused and said, Is that right? I'm converting. The reason I wanted to read that, one, just because I'm a Tebow fan, was not the fact that it's also hilarious, but the fact that right there on ESPN.com, another million people got to read the gospel. Martin Luther called John 3.16 the Bible in miniature. Famous Greek scholar A.T. Robertson called John 3.16 the little gospel. Jerry Vines. How many people have heard? Where my Southern Baptist at? There you go. Jerry Vines. Bob's like, eh, I know Jerry. <laughs> Calls John 3.16, quote unquote, the gospel in a nutshell. It's my prayer as pastor of this small flock that every single person in this room would commit that verse to memory. If it's the gospel in miniature, should we not know it? Well, that we hide it in our hearts and we come back to it every single day. And I keep thinking back, why did... You know, some people were like, I remember I was, when he did that, I was, I was starting to... In 2012, I was in seminary, and I remember some, some football fans in class at seminary were like, well, I would have picked 2 Corinthians 5.21. <laughs> I'm really glad he put three, John 3.16 on that eye black. I'm sure it wasn't as complicated or deep as a lot of people wanted, but it distills the basic Bible message in one verse. It's because you know, the reason I think a lot of people can be asked, what's the gospel, and, and freeze, but then know John 3.16 is they were never taught how precious that verse is. God the Father sent His only begotten Son, the Son lives a perfect life, goes to the cross, atones for our sins so that we can be forgiven. He raises Himself, or the Spirit raises Him from the grave so that we can have a new power and a new life dwelling in us. That's the Gospel. And what John 3.16 says, believe that and you're saved. A, a Christian is a person who believes that, a person who lives in that, and a person who shares that. Christians are John 3.16 people. I would hope, however many degrees I or anyone gets on the end of their name, that you never outgrow that verse. There's nothing, you can't go deeper than that. That is the Bible in miniature. Now the problem is, we often detach John 3.16 from the rest of the passage. And we're not going to do that this morning. And what we're going to see this morning is our sin problem is what keeps us from really truly embracing and, and prizing John 3.16. So if you, if you will, turn to John chapter 3, verse 16, verse 21. And I'm just going to let you sit. <laughs> 
And the Holy Spirit says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, show us how precious Jesus is and why we need him so badly. Amen. So Jesus came once and he'll come again. Now, when He comes again, He's going to come to judge the world. But what John's saying is, the first time He came, being born in a manger, living 33 years, dying on a cross, being raised, living 40 days on the earth, ascending to the Father, the whole reason He did that was to save and not to condemn. The first time He came, He came to save. second time He comes, He's going to judge. Salvation is the reason Jesus was born. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So, salvation is the reason Jesus was born. Salvation is the reason Jesus died. Now at this point, somebody could go, See, Jesus didn't judge. Neither should you. In some sense, that's true. Raise your hand if you've ever heard someone go like, say, say something like this. Uh, God won't judge me. Raise your hand if you've ever heard somebody say that. Well, see, that's not really true. In fact, it's not true at all. Because right here in verse 18, listen to the one word in verse 18. Can you fill that up there? Okay. Is it? Oh, there it goes. There it is. What, just listen to one word I'm looking at in particular. Let's read it together. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. You catch that little word? That makes a big difference there. So it's not just that Jesus is going to come to judge the world again. It's, judgment is not just something happens in the book of Revelation. What Jesus is saying is the reality is that everyone who is not placed in their, their faith in Jesus to save them is condemned already. We're talking universal judgment here. The entire world is sentenced by God to pay for their sinful crimes. They are already condemned because God is a holy, righteous King and He will come to judge the earth in Christ. So we stand condemned. If you are not in Christ today, if you've not cast your soul on Him, on Jesus, to be saved, you're condemned already, right now. You're on death row. You're on borrowed time. You're just waiting for your sentence. I think so many today have a view of religion like it's kind of a buffet line. 
I'll take some of this. I really like the hint. Uh, the the uh, the Buddhists have that. Uh, you know, all everything comes back around. I like that too. I'll take that. Karma. Man, the Hindus are onto something. Let's take that too. No. What Christianity says, what John is saying here, what Jesus is saying is judgment with God is kind of like Interstate 20. Unless you get off at the exit, everybody's going to the same place. Do you see how this makes John 3.16 precious now? Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, unfortunately it's one of like the only sermon he's known for. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. John 3.18 is actually one of the verses he uses and he says this. Mankind is already under a sentence of condemnation to hell. They, don't only, they not only justly deserve to be cast down there, but the sentence of the law of God, the eternal, immutable rule of righteousness that God has fixed between Him and mankind, is gone out against them. It stands against them so that they are bound over already to hell. John 3.18, this is, this is Edwards quoting John 3.18, He that believeth not is condemned already, so that every unconverted man properly belongs in hell. Dang. So I think it's safe to say that if more people read John 3.18, more people would probably know John 3.16. So that next door neighbor of yours who's like, hey, you can go to church, it's not my thing. Thinks that Christianity is a life choice instead of an imperative. That person is condemned already. Your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, those, the person who lives like a pagan, who thinks it's cute to mock you for being a Christian, that person is condemned by God right now. Christianity isn't a fork in the road between heaven and hell. I think a lot of people think that. You choose one. And you do. But we've chosen and we're all on the same path. It's an exit ramp. Christ is God saying, you can get off here. There's one exit. And how merciful an exit it is. The gospel is urgent because the fury of God is imminent. One of Billy Graham's famous sayings, there may not be a tomorrow. See, I think today when we say that, we say, hey, it might not be a tomorrow. Worldly folks tend to think, oh yeah, so I better do all I can now. That's not what Billy Graham meant. He said, it may not be a tomorrow, you better put your faith in Jesus today. I think the reason this is so surprising for people when they hear judgment language and they're like, whoa. I thought that was like the, the, the fundamentalists and the Puritans made that up so we didn't, we, we, you know, we didn't have to have fun. I think today we think of God more. He's God's kind. He's love. He's good. We've evolved now. God doesn't judge people. Well, that's not what verse 19 says. It says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The reason Jesus came was because we're already condemned. We're in bondage. We need to be freed. The easiest theological question in the church today is why do people sin? Why do people sin? Because they want to. That's it. That's why we talked last week about having to be born again. We need a new heart. Yes, God is kind. Yes, God is good. Yes, God is love. That's why He sent Jesus. For God so loved the world. If you're looking for the epicenter and the red-hot core of God's love and His warmth and His peace and His hope, 
Look at Jesus, the open arms of Christ. Our problem in the Bible Belt today is that everyone seems to know that Jesus died on the cross. They just don't understand why. John 3.19 says why? Judgment. Now you know why Christians are such happy people. We were going to hell and now we got eternal life. Jesus took condemnation so that, as uh, Daniel just said, I can be counted free. I want to read verses 19 and 20 because they're very important for understanding why we sin. Verse 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So this is why Jesus is called the light, and this is precisely why the church exists. To bring sinners whose tendency is to hide in darkness into the light. A couple months ago, I told a small group of, of men to hold me accountable in my walk with the Lord. That go here. But I didn't stop there. I told them where I like to hide. I told them where Abby's dark corners are because I want them to drag me out into the light. That is Christian sanctification. That's why we need the church because now they know where Abby wants to go. They know where Abby's flesh is. In my experience, there are far too many churches, small groups, prayer groups, accountability groups where people think that walking in the light is just hanging out with other people who claim to be walking in the light. Meanwhile, they're all secretly hiding their personal sins and they're afraid to come out because they don't want to be judged. Well, John 3.20 tells us precisely why this happens. For everyone who does wicked things, that's all of us, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We don't want to be exposed. I don't want to get near people and let them know how sinful I am. I don't want to get close to people so they can see how selfish I really am. That, 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 that My spouse can do that. I don't want to get near people so they can sharpen me and, and see how imperfect I really am. That hurts. And then Jesus comes and He says, better to be exposed than to be condemned. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, do you remember when he came? He came at night. He didn't come in the day. He, he, there's a reason John puts that in there. Why do you think he came at night? He didn't want people seeing it. Because he was a Pharisee. He was a big man. He certainly didn't want people thinking that he was associated with Jesus and asking such basic questions as, what does it mean to be born again? But when Jesus came into the world, you better believe he brought the light. Jesus wasn't hiding. What Jesus said, he did. What you see with Jesus, you get. There is no deceit. How many people, raise your hand if you've held on to sin, held on to anger, held on to unforgiveness, and then you let it out. And then it felt so much better. That's living in light. Because 
We've been over this before. What do Adam and Eve do when they sin? They hide. And I'm telling you, we do the same thing today. And we can do it right in the middle of a small group. Walking in the light begins with confessing our sins and repenting of our sins to Jesus and believing in John 3.16 and then confessing our sin to one another and being sharpened with one another because we also believe John 3.20 which says that I want to hide. I love my darkness. I don't want to come out of the light. It hurts. I don't want to be exposed to be a fraud. Guess what? God comes and He says, here's the judgment. You're all frauds. And then finally when you confess that, I'm a fraud. There's freedom in that. I don't have to let go. I, don't, I can let go of it. I don't have to keep it anymore. Every one of us are frauds. We don't have to live like that though. Jesus came and said, what happens when you flip the light? Well, at least in my house, you all are probably living clean. But when you flip on a light, what do the roaches do? <laughs> they hide and get out there's never been in my experience a roach who was like well, what's up <laughs> oh is it okay if I eat this All right, fine. no I mean have you ever been in the middle of like a, a, a Christian Bible study or somebody and somebody like amps up the transparency to 10 and everybody's like mm, kind of uncomfortable now Sometimes people can do that and go like, okay, not, maybe not here. That's because it's uncomfortable. When somebody jumps in that pool and says, hey, I'm a fraud, here's my sin, and everybody's like, I don't want to, I don't want to swim in there. Maybe good for you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm talking to my buddy over there. Who is he? He's a guy. Here's what John Calvin said about the word darkness. This is what he says, quote-unquote, When the Spirit describes men under the term darkness, He declares them void of all power of spiritual intelligence. For this reason it is said that believers in embracing Christ are, quote-unquote, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Stop there. You know what that means? Somebody, When somebody comes out into the light and says, Here's my sin, that means that person didn't come up with that. The Spirit of God drove them to that. Your flesh will never want to be exposed and it will never expose itself. What does the Scripture say? Spirit came to convict the world of sin. This is, this is how uh, Calvin ends. In other words, the flesh has no capacity for wisdom to apprehend God or the things of God unless it's illuminated by the Spirit. That means the Spirit isn't just there to teach you things. It's there to, He's there to teach you things so that you can do new things. Theology that's stored and not lived just stores up your wrath. What does it say in Romans 1? You're storing up wrath for yourselves. So how do we come to the light? Well, we come to the light by coming to the Word to show us the Gospel first. And then the Spirit opens our eyes so that I, I'll be taught and His flesh can finally go, Oh, Jesus is good. Spirit made me do that. I didn't come up with that. 
When I savor Jesus in the morning, when I come up and do supernatural things like I wake up and before I've even had coffee, I start praying, that's supernatural for me. Jesus did that. The Holy Spirit did that. When I come up and I ask friends to hold me accountable and be like, hey man, did I, did I mess up in my own sin? Uh, yeah, you did sin, Abby. Okay, uh, keep it coming. That Spirit did that. My flesh didn't come up with that. I'm a Christian today because God revealed Himself to me in the Gospel and the Spirit opened my heart so that I could love the Gospel. And boy, I need them both. Verse 21, But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The biggest tragedy in the church is that someone could be baptized in the church, they could be married in the church, they could come to church every Sunday, and they would die a fraud. And not one person know what's here. Look what he says, verse 21. It may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I remember moving to, to Louisville one time. This is nothing on the, 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 the pastor I grew up with. It might be a little bit on him. But I remember picking, we picked a new church. It was the first time. I mean, how many people have ever gotten married? You got a new church. I mean, it's, it's kind of, that's why I have such sympathy for people who walk up in here. It's scary sometimes. I remember sitting in that pew, and the pastor started not confessing his sin, but he, he was admitting. His weaknesses. And I went, what kind of church is this? And my flesh went, well, I don't think I need to be here because the pastor's weak. I had been trained to think that when strength was looking me in the eye, I thought it was weakness. And that guy said, he was saying, verse 21, it may be clearly seen that my works are carried out in God. He was bold. He wasn't just commiserating his sin. He was saying, I'm crucifying this sin. Help me do it. The pastor. And I'm like, whoa. That ain't church. I think I was seeing more in Jesus in that moment than I'd seen in 20 years in my own church. Now, now let's be clear here. Transparency itself is not godliness. Okay. There are crazy people who just have no boundaries okay <laughs> we need boundaries it's not what i'm saying but isn't it refreshing when someone comes along and says here i am i'm weak and i need your help to be sanctified in christ that is a church as i as i believe with all my heart that jesus desires it to be and we come back to John 3.16. John 3.16 isn't just something to memorize. It's something to walk in. I don't know why I'm doing this right now. <laughs> you know, I have this sneaking suspicion that when Jesus comes back, the unbelieving super conservatives and the unbelieving super liberals and the unbelieving Democrats and the unbelieving Republicans, and they're going to go, Hey, Jesus, here we are. There's the wicked people. I found them. I stayed away, but here they are. And Christ with His double-edged sword, His Word, 
it comes down and it shows them that darkness wasn't some social, political, racial phenomenon. It's something that resides in every single human heart and it must be eradicated with the good news of Jesus. And he's going to show them. Jesus is going to show the world you were condemned already. That's scary. And then ironically, think about this. People who were natural enemies on earth. People who hated that other person. Many of them will become cellmates in hell together. Both as enemies of God. And they're going to go, Lord, I thought you were love. I thought you were kind. I thought you were good. I thought I was doing works in your name. And he's going to say, John 3.18, Whoever believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Pretty simple. It's salvation in Jesus or condemnation as you are. This morning... Let's be careful not to conceive of judgment as something far off in the book of Revelation. It is something that has already begun even now. If you've not placed your trust in Jesus, you are literally waiting for judgment. Now here's the good news. Jesus saves. He's still there and His arms are open. If you would but place your faith in Jesus, if you would but cast your soul upon Him, if you would but simply believe in Jesus, you will not perish, and you will have eternal life. How sweet that message is. Let's go to the Lord and pray that anyone who has not received that message will receive it now. Let's pray. Father God, Your arms are open in Jesus. And you have said that for those who receive Him, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Him. Father, teach us to run to Jesus like children. And not to be grown-ups who like to hide their sin. Father, teach us and show us what it means to be people whose yes means yes and our no means no, people who live in the light. Father, let us flee the darkness and run to Christ. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen.